Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Lucette Moran, and I'm from the Volunteer Lawyers Project, which is a part of the Erie County Bar Association. And we are here with Say Yes Buffalo today to speak with the Honorable Craig Hanna. Uh, so could you please introduce yourself? Okay, good afternoon, everyone. I am Craig Hanna. I have an honor and privilege to serve you as a New York State Supreme Court Justice, um, born and raised in Buffalo, New York, um, product of Buffalo Public Schools. And um, I just just proud that I was able to go to school here and able to give back to the community, which probably has given me so much. That's really great. Can you tell us which schools you attended starting with your high school? Uh, I went to City Honors Middle School and High School. Um, and I went there um, when it was a transitional school. I, it probably was when uh, um, a lot of people may remember when Judge Curtin signed it, the school desegregation order in Buffalo. So most of us were going to neighborhood schools, but then um, we all had to go to integrated schools. And I think it was a tremendous influence in most of our lives because um, we went from a homogenous school education to instant diversity. And that's all of us know that it's diversity that teaches you tolerance and overcome prejudices. So we grew up in an entire diverse environment and that was had a tremendous impact on my, on my life. Um, after City Honors, I went to Canisius College, um, um, UB Law School, and then I had the opportunity to serve or go to school at the University of Nairobi as well, which is also interesting. That's very cool. Um, I'd like to ask you some more about that. Um, but first, um, can you uh, tell us uh, again about your current position? Um, currently, I am a state Supreme Court judge. Um, that sounds very... Um, Let's say I'm huge, but the state Supreme Court in New York State, um, New York has it actually listed differently. The Supreme Court is actually the trial court on the higher level in New York. The appellate court in New York State is called the appellate division, and what's normally called the Supreme Court, like in other states or in, a, or in the United States, is the Court of Appeals. So I'm a, I'm a trial court judge on the highest trial court in the state of New York. Uh, we handle everything, you know, it's a court of original jurisdiction, so it can handle any matter that happens within New York State. Um, typically, I do a civil calendar, which handle injuries, accidents, um, suits against hospitals, administration, and then also some judges do the criminal calendar, which can handle everything. Um, I really enjoy my job because it's a way when people come in that they have a, a first insight with the judicial system. Um, it seems very scary when, you, when you're not used to going to court, but I think our job is to make sure that we break down the process and that the parties understand their proceedings, but most importantly, that they feel that um, once they walked out of the courtroom, justice was served, and they leave in a position much better than they first come in. So as you see, I, I kind of really enjoy my job because, uh, and just to tell you what my job is like, my job is like being a parent. Being a parent, and um, as some of us know, um, being a parent, you're not trying to be everyone's friend. You're just trying to make sure you get the best outcome out of everything. So some people may think I'm the smartest person in the world, and then the other half thinks I'm a complete idiot. And I say that in jest, but that's the job. The job is um, every day you have to decide whether someone wins or lose, whether someone goes home or stays, whether a lawsuit is successful or unsuccessful. But I think the worst thing you can do is not make a decision. Because as they say, justice delayed is just as worse as justice denied. So our job is to make sure that we make sound decisions from the facts that we have and to make sure people think fairness has occurred. Was there a moment where you knew you wanted to go into the law? If I want to be entirely honest and transparent, um, when I was an undergrad, and a lot of us done this, and I'm, I'm going to only pick on myself, I really enjoyed college. And I was not ready to go into the workforce. So um, now I'm looking for professional schools and opportunities. Um, I didn't take a lot of medical classes, so it would have been kind of crazy to take the MCAS to go to med school. Uh, so I thought about going to law school. And imagine you're a college student, you know, growing up, um, expanding your mind, and then you get a chance to stay in school three more years. But the beauty of it, when you tell your parents you're going to law school, they don't look at you as a professional student. They look at you trying to advance your career. So I did kind of have like a little Peter Pan complex that I wasn't ready to grow up and start real life. But the beauty of it is 
as most of us know, law school really teaches you how to think. You thought you were a very smart and intelligent person, maybe in high school and undergrad, but you get in law school, you're with the top 5% of all the smart and intelligent people that were in your undergrad class. So everyone is smart. Everyone's hardworking. Everyone's industrialist. And then you pick up and grow and learn from that. Um, there's a saying that is iron sharpens iron. So too does men sharpen men. So when you're around other people that demand excellence in their craft, and I think that's all we do, uh, it makes us an exceptional student by being a law student. Like you do regular things extra well, you speak well, you write well, you present well, things that transcends in all walks of life. And I'll say this, um, I really encourage people, whether you want to be a lawyer or not, a law degree, and I know many of my friends that went to law school don't even practice law. It kind of just makes you legit in the business world because they know you have the skills, the analytical skills, the logical skills, the deduction skills, that you can be successful in, in anything in business. A lot of CEOs um, and CFOs, um, they have law degrees. Um, a lot of legislators, lawmakers, and uh, politicians and legislators, they have law degrees. Um, it really shows the, the training from the law degree, whether you want to be a lawyer or not. And some people do want to be lawyers, but the training from our law degree can transcend that um, degree and make you very successful in other walks of life. Did you always know you wanted to be a judge? No, uh, I know a lot of people say that, and I don't know if they're being entirely honest. And, and if you watch TV and law shows, the judge is always the, let's say, the wise person that's been around for a while and probably the smartest person, but that's not me. Um, I was always maybe a hardworking person who appreciated all the opportunities that they had. And, and when you work hard for things, you truly appreciate it. Uh, I was surprised when I was first approached about running for a judge because um, I first um, became a judge when I was 35 years old, which I thought was entirely too young because I didn't, um, I thought I wasn't in my craft long enough. But as other people told me that um, sometimes you need people from different walks of life, you need people from different insights that can bring a different perspective to the bench. Uh, and I was afraid, and maybe it's good kind of being afraid when you first get to something because you know you have to pull upon everything you know, your resources, your mentors, your colleagues to make sure you do a very good job. I do have colleagues that they knew ever since they were in high school or when they were a little kid, they want to be a judge. I, did, I didn't know that, but um, the opportunity presented, my, presented itself um, about 17 years ago, and um, I took advantage of it, and, and I was very fortunate. And the beauty of it, I'm trying to pay it forward and make sure I create opportunities for other people. So um, I want to come back to your work as a judge again. But first, I want to talk about more of your journey getting there. And were there any uh, any obstacles or barriers you experienced on your way to, to law school, to your jobs after law school, um, anything in particular? I think the first obstacle is money. Uh, schools cost money and a lot of money. And um, I think now uh, it's probably multiplied exponentially how much law school and undergrad costs. But I would always say this to everyone, don't really chase the money, kind of chase your dream and focus. The money comes later. You do probably have to go into debt if you don't get scholarships for everything. But I suggest you look at it like this. It's an investment in yourself. Um, no one values you or your work ethic or your skills as much as you do. And you want people to invest in you and you're making the first investment in yourself by making sure you finance your legal education. It does get pricey. I'm, I'm not going to tell you that it doesn't. I mean, it took me years to pay off my student loans. But again, it was an investment that I made in myself. If you don't have to take out loans, that's great. But do not let the dollar amount scare you because um, especially if you do public interest work with a lot of attorneys do, there's deferments and there's also unforgiveness um, programs. So just focus on trying to be the best attorneys you can. Also, I'm, I'm from a first generation um, college family. Uh, my mother never went to college even though she always wanted to, but 
and my father died when I was young. Um, but she instilled education. Um, we're living her dream. She wasn't able to go to school after high school, but she focused and made sure all her children at least attended college. Um, and that makes it a little bit different because you don't have the family base to, to bounce things off of. Um, being a first generation college student, I got to law school, it probably took me twice as long to do the reading because I didn't understand half of the words, you know? Uh, a lot of the words have um, based in Latin and legal terms are based in Latin, have Latin roots. And if you grew up in that environment, um, you saw those words before. I had to have a dictionary with me looking up every third or fourth word when I'm reading cases. But I say that it's not an obstacle, but it was, um, it was just some of the challenges that I had. Another challenge is that, um, and, and if we're just being totally transparent, a lot of students did not look like me. And, and if you're not comfortable um, being outside your own box and, and, and experiencing other cultures and also being um, inviting to other ideas, um, it could be isolating, you know, when you're in a classroom and then um, you're standing out by yourself. I think I was fortunate because um, when I was very young, I was forced to be in a diverse environment um, because they had a school desegregation order. And because of which, um, it made me very comfortable around other cultures. You, you do feel isolated. And I think maybe as a child, you can handle stuff like that a little easier. So when you grow up, you develop the defense mechanisms or coping skills to develop it or to handle it better. Because I hear a lot of students, um, and even a lot of people in the legal professions, they, it creates some type of latent trauma that they don't feel like they have someone to bounce things off of. But I'll just tell you this, that me being a mentor and giving back now, it's our job to, you know, lift as we climb and to help students who don't come from, let's say, an environment where there's a lot of lawyers in their family, that they can still have individuals they can bounce ideas off of and feel if they need to talk about something, even to use the vernacular, even just to talk and just chop it up. Because I think that's the most important thing is that um, even though you're a student, you still have the concerns and lived experience of life that's happening to you. And we always focus and try to refocus people and tell them your first job as a student is to be a student and to do the best as you possibly can and to stay focused. Sometimes that means, and I know this sounds kind of crass, sometimes it means like limiting the people that you surround yourself around because time management is probably the most crucial thing that any of us can tell you to do. Um, especially when you go to a professional school, you only have a limited amount of time to complete all these specific tasks. I think the first day we might've had 300 pages of reading, if you remember, but how do you do 300 pages of reading in every class? But you have to realize it's about time management and focus. And if you do time management and focus, it doesn't seem like it's insurmountable. You cut out little things, you know, maybe you don't go to the movies every week. Uh, Maybe you don't hang out with your friends at the local pub or bar or something, you know, maybe once a month. You got to have something. You got to have an outlet because otherwise you feel like there's not a light in the tunnel. But it just makes you focus your energies on the things you need to get done. And then once you finish that, that's life, you know. We all have deadlines. We all have things we have to get accomplished. And when you can focus your energies and your talents on what you need to get done and prioritize, it's a way to make sure you're very successful. Another challenge I had is um, with some of the friends that I hung around with, I, I, I call them dream stealers. You know, um, they're trying to call you um, a professional student. They don't realize it really takes about seven years of higher education and then another year studying for the bar before you actually um, are ready to um, be an attorney. That seven years goes fast. So I know it sounds like a lot of time, but undergrad goes by like a blink of an eye. And then the three years of higher education goes by even faster because you're real focused. But I have friends that are not involved in that or are trying to, and I'm not trying to say they're leading you the wrong way, but their focus is different than yours. And I'm not saying that you outgrow your friends, but sometimes you have to tighten your circle. I think that's a better way of saying it. Because when you tighten your circle on other individuals that are trying or uh, advancing themselves the same way you are, then you can be a better tool or asset for your community 
And then you can go back and encourage your friends. I think one of the greatest things or most rewarding thing is that one of my friends who I had to stop associating with because I was focused on going to school and he thought I moved out of town. I saw him one day and I was walking through the quad at UB, I think going um, to the student center. And he asked me, what was I doing here? And I told him I was about to graduate from law school. And he thought I was joking, right? Um, so we laughed a little bit. You know, I said, yeah, I've been here. I've been doing well. He said, well, I thought you were gone. I said, well, no, I couldn't go out. I couldn't do all these things of just being a student. But um, we exchanged numbers and um, we'll say we'll catch up with each other. Um, the next semester, I saw him on campus. And he said, if I can go to law school, it inspired him to do the exact same thing. And I think that's our job, you know, is to do, uh, to inspire our friends and other people from our communities to let them know that these goals are attainable, especially when they see someone like them, someone they grew up with, someone they spent a lot of time with, they accomplish it. They realize that some of these goals and dreams that they thought were unattainable are within their reach. So you touched on this uh, actually a couple different ways. So I want to ask you more specifically, um, how, uh, especially for people who are going into the legal profession may not have, like you said, someone in their own lives already they can go to to bounce ideas off of or ask questions or ask what that Latin word means. Um, how do you recognize potential mentors um, as you're starting that journey? Um, and, and how important is it to find people like that? I think it's critically important. Um, I think mentor and mentorship is probably the, the biggest way people advance in society. Um, I'm lucky to have several great mentors. Um, I'll name a few of them later. But I think the best part about it is they're helping you and you're watching them and they don't even know that they're helping you. A mentor probably gives a lot more than they get back. And I think that's how you can focus on who's a good mentor because they're sharing their time and their talent and their abilities with you whenever you need that. Um, it is a two-way street. So I, I do encourage a lot of people that you're, you're dealing with people that are quite busy. So when they call you or text you, um, they need you to set up times where you can respond and text back. A lot of times um, when I talk to my mentor, it might be at a, a gala or something that um, we're both at and we'll go sneak off to the side and we'll catch up with each other just to see how everyone's doing. Or when we're both um, volunteering someplace, I will go do it together to make sure that um, the people in the community can see that um, we're accessible or, or basically um, an agent or a tool of the community. And I say that because um, especially um, if, you're, if you're from a minority community, especially if you're, you're from here, um, I think a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of sacrifices that we're not too far off that our grandparents made to give us the opportunities to go to school, you know, and the only way we, we can never pay them back because um, we weren't there. We didn't have dogs sicked on us or hoses turned on us or people um, running you out of town or, you know, protesting so you couldn't go to those schools. We didn't experience any of that. But it wasn't too long ago that our parents and grandparents did. And it, it gave us and it changed the society that we lived in that everyone can go to school. Um, Plessy versus Ferguson wasn't too long ago. I know it sounds like a long time ago, but it's, it's within your parents and grandparents' lifetime where um, people of different um, races didn't go to school together. Um, that they had national guards just to walk two students into a predominantly white college. And it, it sounds so um, obscure and asinine today, but there's video of it because it happened within a lot of our parents' and grandparents' lifetime. It does seem so remote to us, but 1958 is not that far away, you know? And, and I say that because we stand on the shoulders of these community giants and they're probably unsung heroes it really did a lot to make sure that we're able to get an education. So that's why I am very, that's probably the one time I would be very 
let's say mean for lack of a better word and people don't value the opportunities that people sacrifice for us to have um, and then, then they don't respect the elders that put the time and sacrifices in so that's the only time you're probably seeing me angry any other time you probably see me with a smile on my face but i say that because you learn a lot from um, shared experiences from people that already walked the path and they can make your path a lot easier I don't think mentors are telling you what to do or trying to be judgmental. Uh, I know I use myself. I just don't want people to make the same mistakes or have the same pitfalls that I had. I, my job is just to show you a path and then you create your own. There's no perfect path and there's no perfect person, but why would I want you to step in a minefield that I already went through? Um, so our job is to, to make sure we show you what the minefield is, show you what the pitfalls is, and if you do happen is to help you dust the shoulder, dust off your shoulders and get you back on the right path. Um, I'll tell you one of my mentors is, um, is Mayor Byron Brown. Um, when I first met him, as I said before, um, my father died when I was young. I didn't even know how to tie a tie. And I say this story all the time and he tells me to stop saying it. But um, he said, one day I was at work, he, he um, commented, it looked like I had a work release suit on. And I was like, what's a work release suit? He says, look, like when you um, you get out on parole and they give you a tie and a mismatch top and bottom to go look for a job. And I, he thought it was funny. And I, I almost, I shut down instantly, right? And then he's like, what's going on? And um, I said, well, I don't know how to tie a tie. And I'm like 22 years old and didn't know how to tie a tie. And he took me to the side, taught me how to tie a tie. And then he came to my house and tied every tie in my house. So all I have to do is tighten the knot to I really learned how to tie a tie. And it's just little things like that when people give up themselves, you know, but you do have to open up to people and let them know that there's some things you don't know. And it may be some things you're not proud of, but there are people out there that will give their time and their knowledge to you to help you do better. Um, and now we probably have a 35 year friendship from him telling a joke about me having a, a mismatched suit on. And, and now we probably would do anything for each other and we look at each other as family. And I say that because a lot of times, even though you, you pick your family and I know you love your family members, but um, I mean, you don't pick your family. You love your family members. Your family members are around. They they serve you. You, you serve them and everything's great. Um, and there's not a lot of things you can pick in life. But one thing you can pick are the people you call a friend. And and that's what I really encourage you. you. You pick people that you think there's a symbiotic relationship where you're helping each other and you can grow from each other. And I think a good mentorship turns into even better friendship. So I totally encourage you to do it. Um, I think it's the most valuable professional relationship you can have. And sometimes it becomes an even tighter relationship than you have with your family. Um, I think there's a Bible passage saying that a person that has too many friends is quick to ruin, but the person that can find a friend that's closer than a brother is indeed blessed. And, and that's what we're looking for. And that's why I encourage mentorship because once you have that shared experience, you grow together, sometimes these relationships you have are closer than your biological relationships. And I'm telling you, it truly works. I don't even know if I ever looked for a job after my first job in law school because it was from your mentors and networking that people provide other opportunities for you. People are sitting around, they're, they're looking at you everywhere you go. So I have to say this, you're always on stage. Whether you're working the best job that you want, uh, the best, or the job that you're working to get a better job. So we always tell people you, you dress, this is a uniform. We wear shirts and ties um, like you wear a basketball uniform. Our shirt and tie is the uniform of business. And you wear it and it makes you look professional. And people say, well, maybe I should be able to wear anything I want, but you can wear anything you want, but it's the image that you project. And we're trying to look professional. And I'm telling you, Everywhere you go, every time you speak, anytime you're volunteering or anytime you're in court, there are people watching you. 
And if they watch your professionalism, they watch how you carry yourself, they watch your civility, how you deal with one another, and people recruit you from there. There's been several times I went back to my office and I got a phone call from some partner or someone at another agency. They're trying to steal you from the job that you're at because they watched you and thought you did a great job. And I think that's the beauty of living in a town like Buffalo is that uh, we're all interconnected. I know we heard the thing about six degrees of separation. There's probably two degrees of separation here in Buffalo. And, but the converse is if you don't treat people right and you're not civil with everyone, um, the bad news travels twice as fast too. So make sure you treat everyone as your grandparents would say, like you want to be treated and you make sure you nurture the relationships that you have because they become truly, oh, actually they become invaluable. I can't say they're valuable. They become invaluable because you'll see how your life and your career will, will progress. So maybe the answer to this question will be another one of your mentors, but is there anyone you look up to in the legal prof profession for inspiration in your work? Yes, but I'll be remiss if I didn't say the most inspiring person in my life is my mother. Um, my mother moved up here when she was, I think, 15 or 16 years old um, from South Carolina to get a job. And she worked in the plant probably 50 years um, to make sure her children had the ability to go to school. Um, I don't think she ever made more than $30,000 in those 50 years, $30,000 a year. But she did so much with so little that I've never thought we were poor. We never um, wanted everything. We never went without anything. And she always made sure that um, it was important for us just to go to school and to be thankful for what you have and to give back. And I'm telling you, um, I am so indeed blessed to have a parent like that, to show you that uh, with hard work, and perseverance, anything is possible. Because I've never, to be honest, I never thought I was going to be a lawyer. And I damn sure never thought I was going to be a judge. But when you work hard, and you, you carry yourself well, and you treat people the way you want to be treated, I promise you the opportunities come your way. Opportunities that you will never imagine. I know it's like you're living a dream, you know, like when you're going to wake up, because is this actually the life that I'm living now? doing a career where I'm helping people and serving people and giving back. Um, some days I think I'm, I got to pinch myself that I'm dreaming, but as I said in the beginning of it, that's what we um, pride ourselves on. You work hard and then you accomplish something and then you have a job that you actually like and love doing as opposed to a job that's just paying the bills. It's like, I don't work anymore. You know, you know, you're actually happy to come to work. The day flies by like in two seconds, it'll be six o'clock at night. I remember working at the movie theater when I was 17 and the clock was spinning backwards. You know, you, you get there and, and you only been there 20 minutes and it felt like you've been there 10 hours. And I say that because as long as you work hard and you focus yourself and you don't chase the money, you just chase your dreams and follow your dreams, it'll come. Um, nothing is easy, you know. Um, nothing is instantaneous. I mean, unless you hit the lotto or something, but it, they say you got a better chance of getting struck by lightning twice. So that's the thing I want to encourage and to instill that um, you do have to put the effort in first. Um, but I want to let everyone know that it's attainable because a person like myself, who is a first generation college student, is able to become a state Supreme Court judge, not because I was the smartest person in the room not because I was from a wealthy family and well-connected, um, only because um, I was humble and I worked hard. And then when there was people around me that wanted to help, I was willing to accept the help. And I, that's one thing I want to point out. I was willing to accept the help. A lot of times, especially when you think you're smart and you think you're, you're ready to take on the world, you, you're, you're a little obstinate to accepting help from other people. And especially if um, if you're from a culture where sh accepting help is like showing signs of weakness. But I think showing where you're weak and acknowledging those weaknesses is really a sign of strength. And you do need to reach out, especially 
if you need some extra help with reading or you have a lot of people have um if we're just being real are dealing with latent trauma um that they see throughout their lives and sometimes we self-medicate to deal with that trauma um which actually then miss that makes you miss the days of being productive uh and there's nothing wrong with asking for help i think that's the main thing that we want to do is break down the shame and stigma of knowing that you're not superman or superwoman you know you may need to bounce things off of people and if you do need help don't be afraid to ask for, for it so i also want to ask you about a particular uh experience you have had as a judge um could you tell us more about your work with the opioid intervention court Okay. Oh, thank you. I like that question. I think that's probably been the most rewarding thing I did in my professional career. Uh, with the help of our community partners in 2016, we started a um, uh, intervention program where people that were um, were dealing with substance use uh, were able to get treatment immediately. Normally, in a court system, you're not linked to services to after you plead guilty. Meaning if you're um, struggling uh, with substance use, you may be waiting six months to a year or two years before you're actually linked to the services to help you. And we thought another way of combating that was the minute we place our hands on you, the minute you come in the courtroom, and if you're willing and your attorney um, agrees, we'll connect you to the services that you need. Not just substance use, mental health services, behavioral services, um, educational services, um, vocational training, transitional housing, transportation expenses. Basically, we're breaking all the excuses or breaking down all the barriers that most people have for asking for help. A lot of times it was like, I, I, I don't have a babysitter. Well, if we give you transitional services and link you up with a pay for daycare, then you have the ability to do that. Um, and they said, well, I need to go back to school. We had a partnership with one of the community colleges for as long as you qualify for Medicaid or Medicare, that the school was free. And I say that because I think the best way of cutting down recidivism is giving people pride and respect. And once you have pride and respect and enjoy being a productive citizen, I think it really cuts down on a revolving door to criminal justice system. And the beauty of it is, I always say, whether if you're someone that claims that they're tough on crime or someone that's um, more liberal, we always say it costs about $35,000 a year to incarcerate someone. It's cost $4,000 a year to link them to transitional services. So it's just a cost-based analysis. But if you're on the more intrinsic value is you have someone that's leaving out of your courtroom, becoming a more productive person, as opposed to warehousing them in some correctional facility. And I love saying this because you'll be walking down the street and when someone is in crisis, they don't look like they do 10 years or let's say not even a year later when they're healthy again. So you won't recognize them and they will stop you. You don't know where you know them from. And they will thank you for helping save their life. When I actually didn't do anything, all I did was encourage them, coach them up, tell them to go to services, tell them if they have a hiccup. A hiccup is a euphemism for relapsing. And we just want to say relapsing is just a normal part of recovery. Um, I like to eat steak and I shouldn't eat steak. And my doctor said he's going to cut my foot off one day if I keep eating steak. But people do things even though they're not good for themselves but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. to go back to the story is um i didn't do anything but show them the resources in the city and the state that was already available for them and made it easy for them to assess it and when you do that you can see people's lives change tremendously and it was so good to be brought into that situation we can help so many people um, that we actually been all over the world trying to talk about having the same program in other jurisdictions. And people say, do you actually believe this really is cut down on crime and recidivism? And I said, numbers don't lie. Once you change someone's focus and their focus is back into taking care of themselves and their family, they don't get in trouble. You know, they say an idle mind is a devil's workshop. 
but then they say the devil tempts um, everyone, but idle people tempt the devil. So that's why we focus them on being active in their community, being involved with their families. And the next thing you know, they don't back and forth in court. And it saves the community resources, but most importantly, it gets the people back together. And if you're like an economist, it gets them back on the tax rolls that they're paying taxes and it keeps everyone's taxes down. So as I always say, storing people in jail is not the answer because all you're doing is warehousing a problem. The second they come out of jail, they still have the trauma that they're dealing with and they're probably masking their trauma with substance use and they may have to um, in involve themselves in some type of criminal activity, minor like breaking in places and stealing stuff to support their habit. And it's those crimes that we all hate when you go to work, you come home and your, your TV's gone or your purse is stolen out your car because they broke the windows or take out the stereo, you feel violated. It's those little quality of life issues that we're all impacted by. But if we can focus our attention on getting people the services that they need and breaking down all the red tape and barriers by connecting them with the service providers immediately, it really has a huge impact on our society. Now, my sources tell me that you are also the co-director of the City Kids at Camp Initiative. Can you tell me a bit about what you do there? What, what is that program about? That is an amazing program that I run with um, Chris Del Prince, is a local businessman in Buffalo and in Tondawanda. Um, we take inner city kids that are not used to being out in the woods um, camping, and you should see the life um, lessons that they learn and how much they change. On day one, they're complaining about their iPads and their cell phone, and there's too many bugs. It gets dark too early. They don't want this nasty food. And then by the time we go home, uh, time they're ready to go home, they don't want to leave. And they realize uh, once you unplug from all the distractions and you really talk, tell stories, go on hikes, you know, and really get to know each other, you can build lifetime and lasting relationships. Um, the hardest part, I say, is the last day when they have to go back home and you want to continue to have those relationships with them. But I'm telling you, you take people out of their comfort zone. You have them deal with activities that they normally don't do, team building activities. And you see how much the young people grow and learn from. It. It's like being on a retreat if you're at a business, uh, but it's, from, it's really focused on team building, coming out of your comfort zone and showing you the value of diversity. But when you engage it in, in fun activities like tug of war, uh, rock climbing, um, different competitions, we're teaching the kids and they don't know that they're being taught. And I think that's the best part about it. You instill knowledge in the young people, instill tolerance, educate them, and to make sure they're in a more diverse environment because a lot of communities, and I think it's just the way a lot of immigrants settle, they settle in communities that are the communities that they know. But when you bring people together and you show that um, we're all the same, it really teaches people the value of diversity and when they leave out of there, I really believe that they're impacted by those few weeks that they spent with us. Well, thank you. Um, I also wanted to go back to something that came up earlier, but um, uh, I was just curious. You mentioned that you had the opportunity to study abroad. And um, just as someone who's also in the legal profession, I know that's not an opportunity that's always um uh, encouraged, uh, but uh, I also had an option to study abroad, and I was curious um, it, how we, well one if you could tell us a little bit more about that program, but also if it, how it has impacted your uh, your perspective either in life or as you decided to go to law school and I mean in the legal profession, um, anything like that. Yes, I, I had the opportunity to study at the University of Nairobi, um, and I was studying environmental law and environmental planning. Um, I guess we don't realize, especially from here, that we we have tremendous resources here that are not abundant other places. You've got one of the seven wonders of the world 10 miles up the street, you know, and people travel from all over the world just to see it. And then it's a renewable energy power source that powers the biggest city in the world. Um, you know, 
six, uh, excuse me, six hours right down the um, throughway. And I say that because we don't, it, being in an environment where they don't have our resources, where there's very um, scarce resources, and only a few people have those resources, um, it really made me be proud of where we're from. Uh, I know most of us are immigrants or migrants, but it made you proud of being from the United States of America. Because in other countries, I would, I would, I'm pretty sure most people that travel or well travel will admit, uh, poor people don't really have the shot that they have here. Here, if, if you work hard um, and you, you, have a, you have a chance to go to school and you have a chance to actually, even if you don't go to school, if you're in a trade, you have a really chance to make something of yourself, be very productive, take care of your family, and to live a very good and comfortable life. When you travel, you, you see how other countries treat their poor. Um, it, it's, it's not, I'm not going to say a caste system, but it's, it's a very tight structure where a few people get all the resources. And, uh, and once you open your eyes and you leave those resorts and when you're living somewhere, you see how, um, I wouldn't even call it the middle class because it's more of a, it's just an upper class and no one else. You see how the upper class live in a lack of luxury who have all the scarce resources. And then you see how everyone else is living like a more subsistence lifestyle. Um, and when you bring that knowledge back here, whether you, you say you see um, racism, police brutality, um, any other prejudices, you see that um, in America, you do have the ability to advance where you see in other countries that unless there's some huge systemic chances, um, it seems like the, the people with all the resources tend to keep those resources. And it really made me be proud of being an American. And it made me want to come back here to make sure that um, we instill our young people to work hard and, and to actually do well. And I think the only way you can make positive change in any institution, and I, I'm glad you asked me that question, because a lot of people are adamant about going into law enforcement, especially um, post, um, let's say post 2002, after um, all the negative events that happened involving law enforcement to, um, to be as politically correct as possible. Uh, if you're not part of the institution, it's hard to make it, it's hard to make a change from the outside. You really make changes by being inside because now you're in a room where things are happening. You have the right to speak up. You have the right to tell people. Or you, you definitely have the duty to call things out when you see an injustice is happening. Um, they even created laws now that police officers, they have to um, speak up and stop things when they see injustices happening in their presence. I think that's another um, positive that came out of the, um, let's say, the 2019 and 20 protests that um, law enforcement have to speak. They have a duty to intervene if one of them is... Um, engaging in a say an excessive force. And especially with lawyers and prosecutors, a lot of people say they want to be defense attorneys, but prosecutors, even though those people don't really say this, they actually aid in the administration of justice because they sift through the cases, they assess the cases, and they offer the plea dispositions to the defense attorneys. And if they're really doing their job and they know something isn't a crime, they have a duty to move to dismiss a case. And you see that from time to time. So I encourage people, if you want to be a lawyer, um, to be on both sides. You can be a defense attorney, but being a prosecutor, I think you really aid in the administration of justice, too. And my job, um, my job, I think, is a little easier than most people think, except for sentencing. Sentencing is the most difficult thing you can do. Taking somebody away from their family, if it doesn't put a pit in your stomach every time you do it, then you need another job. Because I'm telling you, anytime you sentence someone, you, the uncomfortableness that you have in you is beyond having a stomach ache, you know. And if you don't have that feeling, then I'm telling you, then you don't need to be there because you're taking somebody away from society. And it's not only affecting them, it's affecting their family and everyone around them. So when you do that, you better have the wherewithal to know that you thought that was the right thing to do at the time and don't do it haphazardly or willy-nilly. 
But to go back to what we're saying is that studying abroad and going other places, it really changes your perspective. And a lot of times when you watch the news here, um, you, you take everything as doctrine. But when you watch other newscasts um, and they show their, their slant on the news, you realize the news is just slanted information. Um, especially now, I don't like quoting people, but one of our presidents used to call everything fake news. But there is fake news out there, but there's also real news. Um, but you have to be careful of the news sources that you actually receive it from. Uh, when we were younger, you had to use um, primary research, but I think even the primary research now, uh, if they don't use or don't get some of the news from um, social media, then they're going to be stumped. Um, so I just want you to be cautious of that. But the best part, I know I'm, I was scambling around, but the best part about studying abroad is that you get a very good perspective of the world. You get a very good perspective of the country you're from because once you're, um, let's say, there for a while, the gloves are off and people will tell you what they think about the United States of America. And then when you get back home, if you want to be part of that change, um, because it does pull the wool off in front of your eyes, because I know everyone thinks the United States is the best country in the world, but other countries think we um, um, involve ourselves in their interdependence a lot, you know? So you have to be mindful of that. But the way you make a change is to be a part of the system. And by being a part of a system, I encourage you to go to school, be involved in being a legal, legal profession, or be involved in law enforcement. And when you have people from different walks of life and from different cultures, you can make that institution a much better place. So that's what I encourage you to do. So I think we only have time for one last question. Um, so I wanna ask you, if you could only give one reason for our student listeners, uh, why should they be interested in pursuing a career in the legal profession? Because they can be a change maker. I think the law, at least our American jurisprudence system, what we're focusing on has been an agent of change from slavery all the way up until today's day. Um, there have been laws on the books that were made unconstitutional uh, by people who were subject to those laws saying that um, this shouldn't be on the books and we want to make a change. I remember there was times that um, and that you couldn't, that you can smoke on an airplane and that you can smoke in a restaurant, but individuals were saying it had effects on them and they lobbied their legislators and they can make changes in laws that you believe will never get changed. Um, to focus this is that I really think the legal profession, whether you want to be a lawyer or not, it has been a way that we effectuated change throughout American society to make us one of the best societies in the world. So I would always encourage people to be lawyers. Uh, even if you're not lawyers and you're an ally, we need allies to help us make these arguments and to help us attend rallies and help us to do marches, to help us lobby our legislators who make the laws to focus on these changes. And I think the best part about being a lawyer, even if you don't practice as an attorney, it teaches you skills that you can transcend in any walk of life. These skills are so marketable that people always have lawyers on their staffs in business communities, whether or not they're practicing or not. And just to be selfish, um, I am a proud graduate of the UB Law School and I'll tell you, I wasn't the same person when I started UB Law School that I did when I finished because the law school really teaches you how to think. And you say, well, teach you how to think, you already know how to think. You know how to think in this small, uh, let's say microcosm, what you're thinking in. Law school teaches you how to think professionally, rationally, and you can apply the analytical thought to almost any problem that you have. And business communities love lawyers, whether or not they're practicing in their legal department, their human resources department, or actually leading the whole organization because they really value and respect the law degree. So I would encourage you or anyone listening to this, uh, whether you want to be an attorney or just want to be a captain of industry, or more importantly, a lot of people are entrepreneurs and they want to start their own business. I would encourage you to go to law school because it will really help you with that perspective.
I think the best part of y'all being a change agent is that you have to be willing to make that change. And, and I think learning law, learning the, let's say the nuances and learning what you can and have the ability to change will help you be able to help others in so many ways. So, so in a nutshell, if you have the opportunity, please go to law school. If you have the opportunity, please engage yourself in any civil environment or any public interest that you're helping other people because there's still just saying about being a talented temp. Us being, let's say, well-educated individuals, um, W.E.B. DeVos wrote a book saying that it's not only your job to be educated, it's your job to go back to your community and to be an agent of change in that community. And what that thing is that the community did a lot for you be able to go to school. So now it's your job to be someone that the community uses to make sure everything is being advanced. And you will be used. But Bert, I, one of my mentors said, if your community is not using you, using your time, your talents, and your abilities, then they look at you as being useless. So the whole idea is when people know that you're going to be an agent of change and you're working hard, they will call upon you for your time. But when they stop calling upon you, then it's just time for you to reassess yourself. What am I doing wrong that people don't think that my services are being valued or used in the community? So I think the most rewarding part of being in anything in your profession is when people, even like this program, when people ask, can you serve or can you give us an hour of your time to give back to the community? Because that shows that um, in my profession, that I'm doing well enough and I'm giving back well enough that I can be a service and an asset to all the individuals that are watching this podcast. And I say that because I thank you for your time and your attention, but most importantly, I thank you for being in tune to this important topic because we have to create another generation of leaders. Um, selfishly, um, I would say I'm on the wrong side of 40. So um, my activism days are gonna come to an end because we need fresh legs and fresh ideas and fresh minds. And the way I can encourage you to do is to take our place. And I said that at the start, and I guess it's best to say this at the end, my job is to help blaze a trail so your path to be a lot easier when you come behind me. And if I don't do that, then I don't deserve to be in the position that I'm in. So I'm gonna make sure that we blaze that trail so it won't be as difficult for you to obtain the positions that we have and then you can take it a little bit further. And once you do, um, I charge you to give back to your community and to lift as you climb. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Um, at, uh, on behalf of the Volunteer Lawyers Project and Say Yes Buffalo, um, we're, we can't wait for the students to listen to this conversation. Well, thank you. It was my absolute pleasure for having me today. And I thank you for allowing me to speak to you and to your students.